0: Sci-fi is pretty hard to do right, and I suppose fantasy is as well. For a genre that prides itself on being alternative, we still get a lot of Twilight-tier content. We also get rich, vibrant worlds and series that could have entire college courses dedicated to them. There's always a give and take between creating just content and creating serious art. Sci-fi fans have, I think, a higher expectation for the serious side of the genre, and a more relaxed attitude to the really poor, battlefield earth tier productions. I suppose at the most basic level, it has to be either really good or so bad its flaws are somewhat forgiven. Creating a mid piece of sci-fi generally means you're only going to get a small set of random fans. They don't generally like fast and furious efforts. The weird thing is though, great sci-fi can be incredibly simple. It can be incredibly short too. It doesn't need to be a 12,000 page total epic to be considered iconic. In my opinion, the greats either find a way to express the epic simply, or to make long-winded stories engrossing enough to excuse the word count. The amount of acronyms and dunes spring to mind. The subject of today's episode manages to be a foundational work of modern sci-fi, while still effectively being a novella, a collection of short stories. It's fitting then that Isaac Asimov called his series Foundation. Currently streaming on Apple TV in a semi-bastardized form, This book is tiny compared to modern novels, coming in at only 255 pages, just under one-third the length of Dune, and sitting more in bed with the pulp Star Trek and Star Wars legends than the heavyweight novels. Despite this, there are a few books that have had as massive an impact in shaping general sci-fi. Without this book series, it's unlikely that there would have been a Dune, a Warhammer 40k, and possibly even a Star Wars. This tiny little book and the series it became has had a massively outsized impact on the culture all of this, and it's written incredibly simply. It is like Star Wars, written at the complexity of a 14-year-old, but unlike the galaxy far, far away, this is a device to create a good narrative and not a general marketing tool. Asimov, in general, is one of a handful of originators for many of the most widely used tropes in science fiction, though they weren't tropes when he was creating them. With that, let's lay the Foundation series out on the table and see what the story is, the themes is planted, and figure out just why it's probably one of the three most important sci-fi books ever written. Hey everybody, Dan here. Welcome to Grimdark Battle Station, the show that takes sci-fi politics too seriously and has recently been exiled to the end of the known universe. When we first open Foundation, we're immediately introduced to an opulent galaxy-spanning empire that's grown fat and lazy off the toil of trillions of people. So, so far, so sci-fi. We're then introduced to the leading psycho-historian, Harry Selden, and we soon learn that all is not right in the capital city of Trantor. For those who haven't read the books, psychohistory is what economics and political science people dream of being, a predictive science almost approaching the accuracy of chemistry and physics in its theories, but using general economics and statistics. This obviously sounds like a great thing to have at your disposal. Unfortunately, our friend Harry has scientifically proven that the empire is going to implode very soon. Lucky for us, he has a plan that cuts short the interregnum, the period of no empire from 30,000 years to a mere 1,000 years. Unlucky for us, the beta-cooks running the Empire are apoplectic with rage that their enlightened despotism be called into question. Selden and his psychohistorians are in for a lethal amount of trouble, and the Doctor is put on trial. Of course, being the smartest man in the room slash smartest man in the universe, he has already predicted with near certainty what he needs to do to save humanity and what punishment he needs to receive to enable him to do so. According to Plan, he is sent to the edge of the galaxy under the Emperor's protection to complete the Encyclopedia Galactica, a tome of all relevant knowledge required to reignite the spark of galactic empire and human civilization. He sets up two organizations called Foundations, one on the planet Terminus, and the other on Star's End at the opposite edge of the galaxy. From here, he will incubate the future of humanity as a galactic species. Phase 1 of his master plan is a go. In a shocking turn of events, quite soon after, the Empire collapses. Foundation is left at the edge of Empire with nothing left to protect it but its reputation and the soft power of an Imperial Charter, neither of which will be much help when surrounded by four hostile kingdoms. Eventually, the Foundation comes under threat from these kingdoms, especially Anacreon, because they all covet the saved knowledge and technology that Terminus has sole ownership of. Their mastery of nuclear power and high-tech is too good to resist, and they have to face down an invasion from Anacreon twice, which they expertly do. They use the powers of religion and technology to accomplish this. An incredibly powerful mixture for the Foundation, until it isn't. Bordering on theocracy, the Foundation then becomes despised across the known galaxy for its subversion via religion and high-tech doodads. So they switch tactics to using trade instead. Just like colonial powers on Earth, they are able to trade a mix of high and low-tech manufactured goods and expertise for obscene levels of raw material. The foundation is turning into a general trade empire. As is always the case, the growing power of the traders comes into conflict with the existing power of the Church of Scientism, the tech religion, and the state that it props up. The winners of this conflict? The merchant princes who easily stare down the latest threat to the Foundation survival, using the power of economic blockade instead of the power of the cross. Now the evolution of the Foundation has brought a different type of power to the galaxy, just in time for the next big crisis, the discovery of the remnants of the Galactic Empire, who have their own store of high-tech doodads, and probably still hate the Foundation. Now that's a busy couple of hundred years for the people of Terminus, and exactly as Harry Seldon had predicted. His science of psychohistory has been so complete that when, on occasion, his secret pre-recordings are released at set dates, the various crises that have been gone, called Seldon crises by everyone else, have happened just as they said they would. So after 255 pages, we've covered a lot of political change and intrigue that has either happened or been hinted at, and most of it passes the skirt test. It's been long enough to cover everything, but it's been short enough to grab the attention. Knowing the gist of the story, it's probably a good idea to drill down into the key tropes we learned from Foundation, and what they do for sci-fi politics. The first obvious one that you might have already copped onto is the giant, unmanageable galactic empire. We see this time and time again throughout a lot of sci-fi and fantasy with the big bad emperor is both terrifyingly powerful and humorously incapable of keeping their vast domain under control. And we saw it in real life with every empire in history, no less so the Roman and Ottoman empires whose scale and diversity were ultimately their undoing. At a certain scale, it's just not possible for the core to govern the periphery in a way that is both effective and in tune with the realities faced by the people on the ground. I suppose you could even draw parallels with countries like the US and Canada today, countries that are so geographically vast and have such poorly thought-out management systems that they split themselves into many different and often angry factions. Does Foundation do this well? It does, especially for such a short book. The exposition about the Galactic Empire and the different political systems within it, it, it's a little lacking, but you still get the main ideas quite easily. Most importantly, it doesn't throw a 50-page explanation at you. The second trope, and my least favourite one in all of fiction, is the smartest man in the room. You know what this is all about. The person who sees things we can't see, and always comes out on top with some stroke of genius that is both improvised and 4D chess at the same time. The saving grace for foundation in this regard is that the smartest man in the room is simply a stats guy who discovered a theory of everything. And that's a little more bearable because it's a journey of 99% probability and not a journey of godlike powers. Everywhere we see this in a lot of franchises, Doctor Who is built off it in a goofy way. Grand Admiral Thrawn from Star Wars is the current poster child for smartest guy in the room. And Leto II from Dune is quite literally prescient and can see the future, and that's pretty much the entire point of the Dune series. There's also uh, one more hilarious example of this, which is Trazan and Orican from Warhammer 40k. Those are two ancient robot grandads with mathematics so advanced, it allows them to predict the future and manipulate space-time. They use this power to have catfights with each other all across the universe over the span of tens of thousands of years. That one is well worth a read. Overall, Foundation manages this in the best way possible. In at least attempting some sort of plausible explanation, Harry Selden, yes, is an arbiter of faith but it never takes away from your enjoyment of the book. Now, not all tropes are as annoying as that, I think. And one that is very common but never gets annoying, which is testament to the author of this book in particular, is the constant emergence of another threat, always bigger and more dangerous than the last time. This book avoids Dragon Ball Z levels of one-upmanship, instead making each threat relevant to the phase that the foundation is in. There's a relevant threat for when they're pacifists, for when they're a theocracy, when they're engaged in trade, and ending up with a conflict between empires. They all pretty much flow into each other, even if they're quite abruptly introduced and quite abruptly conquered. And this is pretty much everywhere in sci-fi. You've seen this in any franchise or series that you like, and it's never going away due to the content production cycle. Sometimes it's fine and well-paced, and other times you end up with stuff like Oh, you know, there's another Death Star. Now that's as big as a planet. Now every Star Destroyer is a Death Star. Obviously, it's still entertaining, but it's sort of like chasing the magic dragon. Next, every TIE fighter is probably going to have a planet-destroying laser put on it. Perfect example, the MCU has painted itself into a corner on this one, because nothing seems particularly relevant a threat after Thanos and the Blip. You can make as many different Marvel franchises, movies, and TV series as you want, but we've already had the biggest fight that's ever going to happen, kind of gets a bit boring after that. Star Trek sort of avoided all this because it's not primarily about warfare, but they still managed to elevate threats in different ways using people like the Borg or the Romulans. Funnily enough though, Dune, which is set up intentionally as a counterpoint to Foundation, is sort of the opposite where we have a huge earth-shattering threat and then a gradual decline of life for everyone else. Does Foundation do it well in this book and in its series in general? It does, but when we come back to the rest of the franchise compared to the first book, it'll become obvious that getting painted into a corner is always a risk. That's not to say the franchise isn't great, but if you don't have a solid A to Z plan before you even start, which is nonsensical and very few people ever would, you'll end up writing your last Game of Thrones book for 10 years. The last real old-school trope we come across is science as a religion, or I guess more accurately, there's a weird religion composed of a mismatch of things we already have now in a new and interesting way. Whether it's the Force, or the Bene Gesserit, Vulcans, or in this case, scientism, it's super common to see a weird faith be an integral part of the sci-fi setting. The Foundation teaches its technicians and engineers to be maintainers and not innovators, very similar to the Adeptus Mechanicus from Warhammer 40k. The idea for Terminus though is that by preventing understanding and innovation, they can make technology take on a religious significance, while also ensuring that their stranglehold on over other planets continues because no one else can create their own technicians. This is a very, very smart move, something that the perfectly named Prince Weenus discovers when his entire civilian and military-industrial complex rebels against him when he threatens the Foundation. Having disloyal religious zealots run your navy and utilities is not a good idea. And even though it's not discussed in depth, the issues around using religion to subvert and the conflict between the church and state appears as themes throughout the book. Probably not as core as I would like, but it gets the job done under constrained circumstances of the length of the book. And that's what re—that's really what Foundation is all about, with introducing all of these concepts. Well, okay, maybe more like popularizing them, but the point stands, it's probably the only book that's brought them all together. Foundation does a good enough job, good enough. It's exactly because it didn't do di- lengthy world building that it was able to be relatively complete and succinct. But that's not the only reason it's one of the best sci-fi books ever written. Of course, we all know that taste is incredibly subjective. Our last episode, we pointed out that there are now even incentives to have contrarian tastes in today's content ecosystem. If you pick this book up, you might not enjoy it. You might think it's too simple. But to be fair, if you liked Star Wars or Dune or Warhammer, you'll probably like something about Foundation. In my opinion, there's probably three main reasons as to why this is one of the greats. Mm, The first book is definitely one of the greats. The entire series is probably arguable, but the first reason is one we talked about at the start. Foundation is a short, simple book that maintains its pace with very little detour. That's one of the rarest things you can find in sci-fi today. It seems things are either super simplified and pulpy, or they're pseudo-intellectual and weird. Because it is effectively a novella, the different phases of the novel are able to stand alone and progress the story with a minimum of fluff. The small tidbits from the Encyclopedia Galactica are a great tool that provides strategic level views of the world. In the same way, each Selden crisis sort of begins a new epoch in the history of the Foundation. They don't feel stilted, but to be fair, because the book is so short, there is no real build-up, there's just payoff. Of course, I don't want to take shots at other series willy nilly, and I'm not trying to make fun of anybody in particular, but it's the polar opposite to what the likes of George Orr or Martin do, whose next book will probably be as long as the entire Foundation series put together. Levity is as much a skill as intricate world building is, and there has to be a balance between the two, of course, but sometimes you can do the first a lot more effectively than the second. I also think that, you know, if you have a basic world building, then your imagination can run wild. A galactic sized empire with maybe four pages of total expedition, exposition out of 255 is effectively a blank canvas. And fair enough, though, this can also be a bad thing, creating a lot of somehow Palpatine return moments and stuff that doesn't make any sense, but it's better to have a sandbox than be imprisoned in lore. And that leads me to the second reason there's a little bit of everything in this book. Even if the empires, kingdoms, nuclear plants, and faster than light travel are just explored at a surface level, they're still all there. You can find something from the sci-fi family 3 in Foundation that will link to your other favorite franchises. If it were a modern book, it would almost be considered a bit generic, but as it effectively defined what generic sci-fi is, this isn't really a sin on the book's behalf. It maintains the possibility to get granular. And like we talked about earlier, it provides a good basis of politics, geography, tech, and economics that are fleshed out in other novels in the series. It'd be pretty good if dated intro to science fiction for people who never really got into it, especially because you get to giggle at the name Weenus for a couple of chapters, which is an absolute bonus. The last point worth returning to is one of the main tropes in the book. Treading the fine line between 4D chess and Deus Ex Machina, the smartest guy in the room. Making sure that the special characters remain special, without being ridiculously overpowered or marked by fate to succeed. The story moves at a reasonable pace, and there's not that many aha moments, save for one that is pretty cliche nowadays, where some secret CCTV footage exonerates a condemned man who soon becomes more powerful than he ever thought possible. You know, this could be unforgivable, but at the point it was written, it's not like it had been done a million times before. And in fact, VCRs didn't exist until several years after the book was first written, so it is actually uh, a bit of science fiction, then a reality trope. And all of this helps Foundation to keep eye-rolling to a minimum, while still being well-paced, and that's a rare art nowadays, you just have to look at the Star Wars prequels for a complete failure of pacing and story build up. And unlike episodes 7 to 9, Foundation is a book that does the simple things well. In Isolation, I would say it would be a middle-of-the-road work over the entire sci-fi timeline, but when you take it in context of its age, and the very mixed quality of novels released in the past few years, it would be hard to rank it as such. There are probably a dozen books as simple, a dozen books as well paced, and a dozen books with a smorgasbord of themes, but very few manage all three, and are old enough to have actually originated these things as green flags for good sci-fi. Knowing everything that came after it, it's hard not to appreciate this fact. If the series hadn't been put together in the way it had, there definitely wouldn't have even been a dune. We know that for certain, because Frank Herbert said as much but the downstream effects of Asimov's novels in general mean you can probably thank Foundation and iRobot at least for something that you love about the genre. And Foundation is as Foundation does. It managed to create a skeleton to help the generational growth of the best fiction genre. The fact that it's also a very good book in isolation makes it, at the very least, the best book for sci-fi, if not the best sci-fi book. It tells a good story, it doesn't take too long to tell it, and it introduces loads of interesting little tidbits that you can come back to over and over again. Hopefully the Apple TV series can attempt to stop taking creative liberties and get back to this kind of more pure foundation, but obviously you know authenticity isn't really their style. Nevertheless, it's worth picking up the book and probably watching the TV series to just see Asimov's world brought to life well that's all we've got to say about foundation if you enjoyed the episode please share it with your friends and give us a rating on your podcast app of choice uh, our next episode will be looking at gene stealers from the warhammer 40k universe and uh, just how easy it is to take down a planet from within using one of the guys until then uh, please keep your hobbies fun and dumb because if you don't prince venus will get you